So last week, we began the sermon series on keeping your promises. And um, it's a series that is focused on generosity and stewardship, all right? We began last week talking about our promise of time, and I presented this idea that busy is not who we are, all right? That our calendars will not dictate who we are or what we end up doing. Time is a gift from God. We all get the same amount of it. Therefore, being generous and good stewards of it is something that we should all prioritize in our lives. However, if you're sitting here today, by the, fact, by, by the way, I'm surprised that there's a lot of people here. A lot of people told me last week, Moises, you, you should have never said what you said last week. Okay? We're not going to have anyone in here. Okay? Because today, David locked the doors right now. <laughs> today, today we're <laughs> today we're going to be talking about money. You're like, oh, why did I pick this Sunday to come? Like, uh, uh. your promise of money, and you're sitting here like, get me out of here. Another cringy pastor talking about money. It's the last thing I want to hear, and it, it's it's one of those sad things when you look at it, because. The more I think about it, it's a sermon series. It's a sermon that usually is preached out of church once a year. We, don't, we try not to speak of it. And it's probably one of the sermons that I've been most nervous about. Okay? Because you, you want to say the right things. You want to make sure that you don't. Because there's this stigma tied to the whole thing of money. Um, and you say, rightfully so. We shouldn't be talking about it today. Because the Bible really doesn't really navigate this whole thing. Let me tell you some facts about that before we start or while we start. Do you know that there are roughly 2,350 verses concerning money in the Bible? That, that's almost twice as much as verses about faith and prayer combined. Jesus had a lot to say about money. Nearly 15% of everything Jesus spoke about in totality was regarding money and possessions. 16 out of the 38 parables dealt with the topic of money. The only subject that's taught more in Scripture than money by Jesus is the kingdom of God. You want to know why? Because the Scriptures are noticeably clear about an organic connection that there is between a person's spiritual life, attitudes, and actions concerning money and possessions. So it's not so much about the important, how, how, how important it is that God needs our involvement and generosity when it comes to money. The reason why the Bible talks so much about this topic is because of how much it matters to us. Jesus founded an emphasis to realize that this is going to be such a huge thing for your life, personally. Not because it's important, but because we would make it important. That he felt the need to constantly speak about it. And because of the discomfort of the topic, we have told ourselves, man, we could only preach this thing one time a year. Because if we speak too much about it, people are not going to like it. 
It's not so much that there's a problem or, or our focus today. This is not something that just started this year. No, it's been going on and found it long ago. It's part of our faith long ago. Actually, the tithe was paid before the law was ever given. You see in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, it says, Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. A tithe was paid after the law was given. In Leviticus 27:30, on one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord, must be set apart to him as holy. And you say, Moises, I don't have a farm, buddy. <laughs> this is some Old Testament stuff. Come on, man. What, you want me to bring you five apples next week or something? <laughs> ten, ten, ten apples. <laughs> We're going to have fun today, okay? Relax. I want everybody to relax. It's okay. This is something that's also talked about in the New Testament. Luke chapter 18, verse 12 says, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Matthew 23, 23, which you would find probably something that's kind of contradictory as he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. See, it doesn't, it doesn't move away from the concept of the responsibility of the believer. Amen? The harsh reality is that money and processions will be tied to our lives and to our faith for the rest of our lives. Amen? Even if we want to separate the two, a born-again Christian must, must acknowledge and know that every aspect of their lives is in direct connection to, to a devoted life to God. This is not a money grab message, just like it is not an optional part of our faith. Okay? There isn't going to be a QR code put on the screen. The ushers aren't going to pass the envelopes at the end. It's not coming. And you're like, oh, thank God. It's not coming. Money is a particular valuable tool. Therefore, it makes it so difficult for us to be open in conversation about it. But for our faith, it is, an extremely, it is extremely important for us to understand that we understand that the lack of generosity in this area of our lives will translate into things we don't want to be associated, associated with. When you have an issue, and this is an aspect of your life that you haven't been able to give to God because of some example or because of something you experienced, you essentially end up operating in greed and selfishness, and that's something you don't want to be associated with. Because money, money is a valuable tool, but it's a really bad God. Amen? And this is a fight that is more real than we think it is because we have a culture that is telling us to fill ourselves while there is a God telling us to fill others. Because God didn't create us to be takers. He created us to be givers. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
However, this is so tough and a difficult process for a lot of us because we think of us first, right? It's like if, if we were to take the farm thing in consideration, if I'm hungry and I still need, why, why would I give you an apple when I need one? So it, it becomes this difficult thing. But you may say, Moises, it's not that at all. It's not that I'm thinking about myself. It's just that I've seen churches and people be destroyed by this. And you've been on the TV. Can I get 100 people with $100? Stand up for me right now. Here we go. You know, put the count down. You got three minutes. You know, like. <laughs> not, not. Hey, listen, listen. I, I'm just not going to be that guy, okay? I'm not that guy. <laughs> but as tragic as your past experiences may have been with this topic, you know, it, it is part of our faith. And otherwise practice could end up leading you into a place you never intended to be. In other, word, in other words, while you fight against the greed of money or for money, we may not be realizing that in the process we're becoming more selfish and, and that selfishness could begin to grow within us, causing our entire efforts to be counterproductive in the whole thing. So while you think you're teaching someone a lesson or trying to keep things within a certain parameter, you're losing the concept of your own faith. Think about it. We kind of bend over backwards our entire lives in pursuit of money and possessions. If we were to think about what we want next year, a lot of those things will be accomplished through the concept of like a new house, things that cost money. I want to move out. I want to do different things. In some cases, I feel like in that pursuit, we end up trading the ultimate, which I believe is God's blessing, okay, for the immediate, which ends up being our selfish desires, like Esau, we constantly walking away from our birthright for a bowl of stew. And you say, man, but that stew is yummy. This is how a parable breaks it down for us in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 20. Then he told them a story. A rich, a, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll, tear, I'll tear, tear down my, my barns and, and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and, stay, and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Other translations say, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will get the bumper crop? Think of this. You ever seen a U-Haul in the back of a hearse? You know? We, we get to a point in life where we, we have this constant pursuit and obsession. And some of us will read that story and say to ourselves, life goals I want to be in a position where I'm retired. Well, he cashed in his 401k, you know, the guy's loving life. The reality is that selfishness and greed are inborn sins, friends. You ever seen a baby? You think a baby's selfish? Yeah. Brian knows. He's got one at the house right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
They want everything. They want everything. It's an inborn sin. We all have it. Newsflash, you're selfish. All right? A baby, you'll have, you'll have something in your hand. They'll have a toy and they'll want that. Then you give them that until you start playing with something else and they want the other thing. I mean, it's the same thing. We, we, we have this happen to us. This, came, this became a reality to me when I celebrated Sebastian's birthday two years ago. Okay? I thought to myself, Sebastian is always, he's, a, he's, a, he's an only child. So I thought to myself, he's always by himself. I'll just invite as many people as I can to my house. Friends of all ages. And he'll have the best party he's ever had. The little guy had a mental breakdown. I mean, he saw kids grabbing his toys, and I'm sitting there watching him, and he's just rattled because somebody's grabbing his toys and they're playing with it. He's not, he just, he's just super rattled by the idea. The point is we all have it, and when we, when we feed our selfishness and our greed, it could be destructive. It will not only get you further away from God, but it'll leave you away to feel empty and, and, and you won't feel fulfilled like you think you could. You think that you're going to be in a position that if, I'm just, if I just keep working enough and I keep putting enough pressure into this thing and I keep focusing on what I want, what I want to accomplish, the things that I want to get done in life, you think you're going to end up in a happily ever after scenario and it doesn't work like that. You fool. You know, I, I told you the famous story about Eddie and I with the tricycle. We, Eddie and I found a tricycle in Puerto Rico. My dad didn't buy us one. We, he would buy us pairs, of, you know, he would buy things in two because we're brothers, right? So he'd buy two of everything. This thing we found. So we bring it home. Don't ask me how old I was. I, I don't want to tell you when I was playing with the tricycle and how old I was. But it, regardless, it was fun, okay? So Eddie and I would constantly fight over this tricycle. Constantly fight. We constantly fight. We constantly fight over this tricycle. My dad was so upset one day because we wouldn't stop fighting about this thing that he just came outside. He said, okay, enough. He grabbed the tricycle, threw it on the roof of the house. <laughs> the roofs, because of the hurricanes and stuff, the roofs in Puerto Rico are flat roofs. So it wasn't going to roll down the other side, okay? It was there. And then Hugo came and we never saw the tricycle ever again. Okay. And, and, and selfishness has that kind of effect in our lives. It would leave you empty-handed. So while in your efforts, you're thinking that you're gaining more, you'll end up having access to zero. Now, unlike selfishness and greed, generosity is something that our entire faith is founded on. Jesus didn't just give us one stingy drop of blood. No, because that's not how the Father operates. He doesn't charge us a lot for a little. No, because that's not how he works. Instead, he freely gave what is too valuable for us to be able to afford. You understand that concept. You have a God that wasn't stingy about your life. Instead, he gave you so much that you will never be able to repay him back. You are indebted to him forever. Our entire, this generosity, this giving concept is something that our entire faith has been founded upon. 
You sell well, Moises? I understand. Jesus did it. He gave it all. How do I match that? How do I match that? Let's look at Luke, Luke chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had. You know, our finances turned to be a great revelator of our relationship with God. One of the most shocking things that has ever happened to me in my life is when I was in my 20s, I was trying to be credentialed by the assemblies of God. So my wife and I went for a credential interview, all right, in Hickory somewhere. And I sit and I go into the office and they're going to interview me. So I'm ready. I got all my scriptures, my vision. Man, I'm ready to evangelize the guy I'm meeting with. He's going to hear the gospel. Okay? And he sits across from me and he opens up a binder. In that binder, he had my credit report. And in that credit report, he had things highlighted on it. He gave me an explanation. He said, we believe that the integrity of a minister is something that you carry both behind closed doors and what you do publicly. So here I, I was getting ready to preach the gospel of Jesus to this pastor. And he wanted to know, why did I not pay my medical bill in 2000 and something? It was eye-opening to me. I, I mean, I won't knock it. I actually admire it. At that point, maybe I was a little upset. And it didn't settle well with me. But he looked at me and he says, you guys, my wife was with me. It was embarrassing. My, my wife is sitting next to me and he looked at me and he says, you guys got to take care of these things before we can move any forward. You're like, you're right. So I went home. I was mad for a few days and then started working on it. You know, I took care of those things, but... It is a great revelator of our relationship with God. It tells a lot more than you think. The type of generosity and stewardship that is required from us when it comes to our money and possessions will have a way of feeling uncomfortable. Because in a lot of ways, it is meant to resemble and carry this sacrificial aspect. So you may say, why does it feel so, uh? It's because it carries a sacrificial concept to it. We must understand that ultimately, Jesus is not reaching into your pocket for your wallet or trying to fight for your wallet. The reality of this topic is that Jesus is fighting for our hearts. And the only reason why this is so important is because it's important to you. This woman wasn't interested in comparing herself to others and what others were giving. It could have been extremely discouraging to see the wealthy people come to the front and deposit their large amounts of offerings and she come with all she had, as poor as she was, and deposit those two small coins in the front. But it wasn't about others. It was about her personal commitment to God. 
rich people of this pastors were dropping gifts in the collection box. But the Bible says as poor as she was, she gave everything she had. This is the real mark of a real Christian. It's an all-in mindset. We have no restrictions when it comes to our commitment to God. As followers of Jesus, there is no such thing as a little bit. Because we have a God who gave us everything. So we can't come into it and tippy-toe our way into a relationship with God. He's asking for all of it. It's an all-in commitment with God. You know, but, but you can't give full access of these areas of your life to God and not expect others to be involved, which in a lot of ways ends up being our deal breaker with God. I'll give you the money, God. But, man, I, that guy right there, you know? And we have this tendency to try to dictate what happens, where it goes, how it gets utilized. So, so it goes away from the gift. My dad raised us up as, as little kids. You give it, Moises, and you never look back. He would tell me, Moises, you put that offering in there and it doesn't matter what happens to it. God is going to use it. That people, you may see those people you gave it to use it, but you keep doing it because that's your responsibility. Own 100%, own 100% of your 1%. You take it, you do it. That is your responsibility. What they choose to do from that point forward is on them. What God chooses to do that on that point forward is on them. Your responsibility, son, is to give because that's what your father calls you to do. Amen? That takes a lot because we love correcting people. You're like, no, no, no. We love telling people what they need to do and how they need to do it. Therefore, we're not going to be a part of it. Okay? And, and what I'm trying to get you to understand is that that's more hurtful to your life than it is for the concept of what you're trying to accomplish. You know, in the story, we see that they were all given, but the rich people were giving sort of insignificant amounts. These amounts could have been large in value, friends, but they were insignificant. The widow, on the other hand, gave everything she had. If I asked you, to give everything you have, the majority of you would get up and leave. Okay? If you ask me to give everything that I have, I would say that's a lot. Not because I'm loaded, but because it means a lot to me. You follow me? It would work and have the same effect in all of our lives. None of us would want to do it. But we must understand that like this widow, everything that we have comes from who? God. Therefore, none of it belongs to us. Therefore, giving it should be, shouldn't be hard. I tell our leadership team all the time, you are stewards, not owners. You are stewards, not owners. All you are, we don't own anything. We have access to it. We buy it, we use it, we move it, but you're stewards, not owners. And I take that concept into my life. Moises, you're not an owner, you're a steward of God who has given you everything. Okay? I don't own anything. 
this sort of sacrificial commitment is one that we all should be ready to comply with. It's not optional. It's this faith only that God will allow us to be part of a movement like this. You, you don't get to, to just manage your way in life this way without acknowledging God to a certain extent. There's only room for one God in your life and money is not it. You follow me? I love the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed him, showed love to him and said to him, this is amazing. I mean, you're like, how is it possible that Jesus is getting to reject this kid? He's not rejecting him. He just gives him instructions. But in that, he's showing him love. You know, Jesus showed him love, showed love to him and, and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Okay? One thing you're lacking, one thing you're missing. Okay? This is an internal battle that you and I fight with, with our selfishness and our greed on a topic that is crucial and important for our lives, for the lives of our family, for the lives of those people who are connected to us. We think of so many different ways that we could use it, the things that we could accomplish, how much we want, what we can get to, okay? And this makes it hard for us to think outside of that box because we're thinking about us first. But as we see in the story previous to this one is that giving was not based on the amount. It was based on a sacrifice. Because if it doesn't cost you anything to give it, then how valuable and significant is that gift in the first place? Ask yourself, when was the last time you gave something that hurt? Something that truly cost you something? Where you said to yourself, man, this is unique. This is different. That was so personal to your life, but you felt called to do it, led by God to do it, and you were willing to do it. You say, how much do you want to get you to shut up? But take something from me today. Take something from me today. It's not based on an amount. It's based on a sacrifice. So is that unique to every single individual in the room? It, it, it's how we give that counts. And please don't tell me you have nothing to give. One of our, uh, some of us have, have this, Peter, Peter messed us all up with that one verse. It's our favorite verse to use in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. And we throw that thing around. We should get shirts made. And, and guys, listen, let me give you some perspective here. Do you love your country? Yeah. We are the wealthiest nation the earth has ever seen. However, half of the world's population, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. 
Even the people in our country that are classified as poor have cars, television, clothes, food. Guys, our, our cars have rooms. My car, two cars, and I have two rooms for them. But if I asked you in the room, do you have stuff in your house you don't need? Whew, man, how much time you got? How much time? All the men said amen. No, I, was <laughs> I, was just, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> uh, shots fired. No. Um, they do say that if, if anything has, li- if you haven't touched something for more than six months in your life, it should probably go. All right? You do the math at home. Um, you said, what about the Christmas decoration? No. no. <laughs> They're coming. They're coming out soon. Um, but we have more stuff than we need. You know what we call that in the United States? Storage units. A $38 billion industry in the U.S. alone. 2.3 billion square feet. Enough for every single American to have over seven square feet to themselves. Meaning we could practically house an enti- our entire nation in storage units. I know it's not a lot of room, okay? I'm just trying to give you an idea here. So when you say you don't have enough, but instead you you say to yourself and you start to realize, once I have a little bit more, Moises, then, then I'll know what to do with it. All I need to be able to do is just to cover my bills and, and do the things that I need to do. And then I'll be able to do what I need to do with it. God, you know, you know these bills that I have to pay. But the reality is that never is, you're never going to have enough. You're always going to want a little bit more. I told you last week when I made, I told, I told my, my director one time, he said, how much money are you hoping to make one year? And I said, man, once I make $40,000 a year, I'm set. We're going to live like kings. We're going to be, man, plentiful. I mean, everyone's going to eat. I mean, it's going to be crazy. And then I made $40,000 a year. And it was like, okay, maybe once I make 50. And then once I make 60, once I make 70, once I make eight, I never got, don't think that I'm like, you know, now that I'm at 250, can I get it? No. It's not going there. It's not going there. But, but it's never going to be enough. You could always move that up a little bit, okay? Psychology tells us that most people aren't even satisfied with their level of income and comfort. A, a few years ago, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world. When he was asked by a reporter how much money he needed to make him happy, he said, just a little more, just a little more. It's a hollow pursuit, and we waste our entire lives seeking it. I'll, I'll take it a step further. This, this tends to have an effect more in your life than you think. You're, you're seeking this thing, but you've all heard the saying, the carrot dangling in front of you is attached to a stick. 
You think you want something. You think you need something. But if you had that thing, you would derail faster than I don't know what. I've always lived by this simple rule. It's not about what I want. It's about what God knows. Because ultimately, God is either going to give us what we ask for or give us the things we would ask for if we knew the things that he knows. Through this passage, Jesus has given us a clear picture of how God evaluates our generosity. The person's gifts is determined not by the amount or, 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 or how much she gives, but the amount of sacrifice involved in the giving and the generosity. You know, we can apply this principle in our services to God and everything that we do. So why do we disconnect this when it comes to our service to God and how much we do for him and what we're able to do physically for God and for other people, why do we tend to make this disconnect between that and our finances? You know, we, we tend to draw a pretty strict line in the middle of that to say, hey, you know, this is not just going to be something we do because intent is everything. In other words, you could give without loving, but you can't love without giving. The problem is that we have an undeniable example here. It's not me speaking it. Jesus gave his all when he died for us, <laughs> leading us to this question of what we would, what are we going to give? And biblically, as we see here, we're kind of being called to give until it hurts, some sort of sacrificial thing. So we got a God that gave it all, and, and, and we're being asked, well, how much are, what are you going to do personally? You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. You see the conflict here? You see the conflict here? You say, but how much? I'm not here to tell you how much you're supposed to give and when to do it. I'm developing this idea for you to understand that God has prospered you enough to somehow be present in what he's calling you to do. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of your money, of the money you have earned. So I don't believe God is asking us to go above and beyond something we don't have. Okay. God is asking us to do this for our own sake. You know who needs the generosity, your generosity more than anybody? You. We all think, we all think that God needs our generosity. That God needs our generosity. All I know is that scripture says that the rocks will cry out if we don't. God is going to take care of his people. God is going to take care of the need. God is going to do what he has to do. It's up to you whether you decide to involve yourself in that plan or not. My son taught me this five years ago. Because when we went, we thought we were doing something good for someone. We thought we were being generous with little Sebastian because he needs our help. We have resources and things we could give to the little guy. And then he adopted me as a dad. And changed my life. Because generosity... God doesn't need it. 
You need it. Your generosity will change you. It's only in the scriptures to work with your life, to fight against the things that mean a lot to you. God is looking for generous people, not so he can have more. Guys, we think, we read scripture and we look at all these scenarios and think of these scenarios as, as events that took place for one reason or another. And I'm here to tell you guys, for instance, we were singing this morning, the tomb rolled away. And we say to ourselves, Jesus needed to get out. No, the Bible says that the tomb was rolled away so she can see. Jesus didn't need help getting out. He wanted her to see that he was no longer there. Generosity doesn't give more possessions to God. It changes your life. It would completely, drastically change who you are. Turn that part of your life over to God. And man, I'm telling you, you would see God do something amazing. He doesn't need your generosity you need your generosity. Now we're going through this process and I, I've always been like big on this because I've always had this heart to just kind of give and just kind of give. And this, this wasn't a concept for my life personally when I, was, when I was making good enough amount of money. No, this was the case when I was struggling, when I lost my job and I was saying to myself, if I'm tithing, why would I lose my job, God? It's not an equation for, us, for prosperity here that I'm pitching to you. It won't work that way all the time, but you need your generosity. Just like you need it for your personal life and your service to God, you need it financially because it's a tool that is important to your life. Whether you say yes or no, but it cannot be your God. God is not willing to share that space with anybody else. So if you hear anything from me this morning, know this. Your generosity is not going to be something that's just going to be beneficial to the church. No, it's going to be more of a benefit to you. I stand here and tell you that, thankfully, we don't, Greater Life Church doesn't need it. And you're like, why would you say something like that? We could always do more. Yes. But you know what I know? I know that a parent campus, okay, gave us a $50,000 gift to come down here and plant a work, Okay. Eight months ago. And, and today, we are $57,000 ahead of what we came down here with. And you say, yes. Gift or no gift, we're thankful. But could you imagine the faithfulness of God? God is going to take care of his people. It's whether you're choosing to be part of that blessing or not, where you're going to jump in and say, I want generosity to change me. Amen? Like I told you, there isn't going to be a QR code that's going to come up on the screen. This is where it ends. It ends with you making a commitment to God to say, God, am I sacrificially doing what I'm being called to do with you? Not with me, not with this body, not with this church, not with the individuals here. No, you with God. All right? We're in a good position. We believe that you have been faithful. In fact, whatever your deal is with God, I don't. This is not one of those messages where I'm like, what's going on in here? No, it's not one of those at all. It's just something that I think can change your life. And for me to not talk about it, when Jesus talks so much about it, 
would be kind of unfair. Bow your heads and pray with me. Thank you, God, so much for allowing us the opportunity to be part of this, this, this teaching, God, that you, you've given us today. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would stare the hearts in this room this morning. God, not necessarily for this overwhelming blessing of giving to, to take place, but for people's hearts to be changed, to be generous. Because I believe that it is something that is important to you, God. You, you've taught us multiple times in Scripture about money and possessions, about money and possessions, God. And we don't want to leave this place without acknowledging and just filtering our lives through those teachings to know, God, that if we are being called to do something, that we should do it. That this is not something that's not only going to help the community around us, but it's also going to change our lives forever. It may also be tied to blessings and amazing things that you have in store for us, God. So help us. Help us to understand that just like you take care of us, God, you're taking care of everything else. And that this is a call to us personally because you care for us and you want to grow in relationship with us. Thank you, God, for being so good and for bringing us to this place that we could acknowledge you and know, God, that everything that we have has been given to us, God. And we don't own anything today, and we won't own anything tomorrow. Everything will be a gift from you, freely given. Thank you for giving us so much, for not holding back in what you gave us, for not holding back in your promises to us, but for being faithful and sacrificial in how much you gave. We love you, God, and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.